This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Erin Redden, welcome to Better Reading. Oh, Cheryl, it's just so great to be here because I absolutely love your podcasts. Oh, thank you so much. I love hearing that because I love doing them, you know. <laughs> As you probably guessed, I'm a talker. I think the thing is that it makes such a difference. It makes such a contribution to our conversation in this country and I think it's really powerful. So I'm going to say thank you to you. <laughs> well, you know, it's not just me that likes to talk to authors and writers, but our listeners and our readers, they love to read, obviously, because they're all ferocious readers, but they love to know the stories behind the story, which is where we got the name from, like how it is that you came to writing, you know. So let me introduce you. Erina has worked with words, ideas and stories all her life. She started out as a journalist working in radio and television and was awarded the prestigious Walkley Award for her work as an ABC foreign correspondent. She has a master's degree in professional writing and a PhD in creative writing. She's taught politics at the University of Melbourne and creative writing at La Trobe University and Writers Victoria. Her family claims she can glamorise a handful of facts beyond recognition (laughs) in the service of an entertaining story, sometimes at the expense of the truth, but always in favour of wonder. Do you know, that is almost describes me as well. (laughs) We're twins, Cheryl. Twins. We are. We are. Because you you love you love stories and you love politics. That's me. Yeah. yeah, um, totally. yeah. yeah this is Erin's um, first novel. It's called The Serpent's Skin. I mean, so much praise and love for this book. It's an extraordinary novel about overcoming male power, the strength of sibling bonds, and the secrets that can haunt a family. Congratulations. I mean, you know, there's not many. I've got a huge crush on Christos Chalkos and he knows it, so mm-hmm. I can say it publicly. I think you're uh, in a big club there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he says it's a deeply satisfying book of quiet power and dignity. I feel very, very blessed that he was one of my first readers because I just admire him so much. Um, I This is my first book in quite a while, actually, but I did write... Um, earlier on. I've been published earlier on. Fiction? Novels and, novels and yeah. Oh, okay. However, Cheryl, the thing is, as a woman, you know, we have children and we have to make money. And so it does feel like this is a new beginning for me. And certainly this, the writing in The Serpent Skin is much deeper and much kind of richer. It's, you know, you can see the years that I've put into going deep and trying to reach for the kind of things that Christos reaches for, you know, the kind of really the deep fabric of what it is to be human and the frailty that we have in the face of the institutions that we all have chosen to live with. 
Yeah. Mm. And also the frailty of family and siblings, you know, that's what dawned on me. I come from a family of six and I've got four sisters and a brother and we're going through, we've always been super close, you know, um, we've always lived, you know, within a couple of kilometres of each other. The furthest lives 40 minutes away. But, you know, our mother's not well at the moment and it, it changes things. I've got to say that the, the things that really challenge us do really mark the way we can be in life and our experience of richness. But I've got to say, we're also twinnies again. I have four sisters and one brother. Oh, my six God. Of us, and we all live within a few Ks of each other, except one who lives in the US and it is a big grief to her and to us that she's done that. She chose to do that. We have that same kind of, well, I don't know, for us, as you can see in the serpent skin, because it is actually, I write, it's not my story. That didn't happen to me because I really wanted to write a thriller, something that moves people through. I really believe in the writer holding the reader in their arms. Uh, you know, it's like you being on a train. You get on the train, the doors are closed and off you go together. Um, however, uh, it is my world. So there's the, the, the world of the sibling kind of smack talking at each other, kind of rivalry, supporting each other, but actually also in great competition to each other for the few resources that are around, actually makes a real, it, it actually shows who we are and can be in life and the bonds that keep us together and yet kind of hold us apart at the same time. Is that what you feel is happening to you in your family with your mother being mm. ill? Yeah, because everybody has different coping mechanism. Everybody has a different grieving mechanism. You know, everybody grieves differently. Everybody copes differently. And that's been challenging for us. I mean, you know, we'll get through it as a family. But also, too, I've been thinking, what happens when the matriarch goes? Well, know? for us, um, we're talking about my real life now. Um, my mother did pass a couple of years ago. I'm sorry. And it is a tough time, as you know, Cheryl. However, we're so close that we maintain the family. The only thing we don't do now is Mother's Day because we all have our own little families and it's kind of slightly good to have more time in the, in the day to celebrate with your own little family. However, um, the thing is, is that if you are the kind of family that you are, you will cleave, you will stay together because that's what families do. Yeah. yeah. Hey, just another... <laughs> Thing. My sister Margaret lived in the US for a while in Orange Oh County. my gosh! She's back now. There you go, true, Cheryl. <laughs> okay. She did. I think the thing is in the servant skin, the mother does leave early. Like she disappears mm. one day, and she's that is you. What it's actually a book about in a kind of tangential way. What a mother is to a family, which you've beautifully picked up on. So that whole idea of the essence of the mother holding the family together. In this family, in the serpent skin, there's four kids living in a very kind of remote farm, dirt poor world where the only resource they have is their ability to support each other. And this epic survival, you know, like the epic battle to survive against all odds and against the land, you know, not not producing because they're in drought and things like that. So when the mother goes, it's quite clear that she had a huge effect on holding each child and making each child visible to themselves and to the world. And when that is taken away from them, they flounder. They actually, the father doesn't have those skills. In fact, he does something completely different. So each of these children grow up 
finding their way in the world, but with a certain kind of experience of the trauma of their mother having disappeared. And it's not until the last, you know, climactic, very, you know, emotionally powerful scene in where we find out what happened to the mother that we actually get a sense of all the ways that the mother has been very, you had special relationships with each child, with one she baked, with one she made little paper giraffes, with one, you know, they had with JJ, who's the main character in the novel, and it's told in two time two time schemes. The first is the late 1960s and then 1980s when she's, JJ's at first 10 years old and then she becomes 24 years old and she finds out what's happened to her mum. They have the language of flowers. You know, they talk you know, the flowers mean something between them. And I think that special bond that that mother, Sarah, had with each of her children becomes very present. And it's only through JJ finding out what happened to her in the end that each of the children are then set free. Mm. Do you know, I've been thinking about mothers a lot um, in the light of my mother and and certainly, um, you know, Mother's Day just passing. And particularly when you have six kids, I, you know, I often think about her and does she have favourites? I think she does have favourites, but it's not loving less or loving more. And I think you're right. She has a different relationship which with each and every one of us. But more importantly, I think she has a different expectation as well. Very interesting. Very interesting because she sees each of you for who you are. Mm. I think that's quite beautiful. That's a beautiful mm. insight, actually. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Now, listen, now I want to talk to you and how you came to be. So go right back. Tell me about, you know, where your love of reading and writing started. Okay. So I grew up in the world of the serpent skin. As I've said, it's kind of a very, you know, there was, when my sister read the book, she just said, I don't recognise the story, but I recognise the labour, all the work that we did as children to keep everything going. Um, so there was a lot of not being children. There was a lot of you got to go out and you got to, you know, feed the calves, you know, plough the fields, you know, get. we didn't have heating, so get the fire on, that kind of thing. Where were you? We were in um, country Victoria, right. so just outside north of Melbourne actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and in quite, it's still remote today, even though it's very built up in many areas around it. So it still remains a pocket. Actually, to be totally correct, it was opposite. If anyone knows, it can take them, cast their minds back to the Sunbury Pop Festival. Oh, right, yeah. So if we were on the adjoining property to the Sunbury okay. Festival. So as and, a child. I and what number are you? Five, number oh, five. Okay, I'm number four. Okay. <laughs> so we almost start again, you know, after a few yeah. kids start yeah. again. Yeah. So we did start again in number four. So um, I think that, um, what for me the joy of my childhood was actually there were two things. One, we did a lot of creative things. We made plays every Saturday night for our parents because we didn't, you know, we were pretty remote. And we had cubby houses all over the property. But the other thing was reading. I just adored reading it. I, I would say that story saved my life. Those beautiful books of, you know, Mary Grant Bruce's The Billabon Maid, because we didn't really have books for young people then. Like you, you were reading quite old stuff, but actually they, they really created possibilities. I remember reading one little story called uh, um, The Palio, which is a, a famous horse ride in Siena, medieval horse ride, a horse race. And when I grew up, I fell, I was in love with Italy. That was the first place I spent time with my first foreign language. I went to live in Italy and I was stood in that 
square in Siena and watch that horse race. So that connection of where stories can take you is so powerful, really opens up possibilities. So from that, I knew that I really believed in the power of stories to change lives and to enrich lives and just to entertain, to take you deep into the experience of who we are, but also to have fun. I think and, and also escapism, just yeah, to sometimes just to, leave the world that you're yeah, in. You know? Just to have some fun, you know, just to and solace. <laughs> escapism is solace sometimes. So, but I also lived in a world in which nowadays I'm so grateful that writers go into schools and they talk about their experience. But in those days we didn't. So I didn't actually know that you could become a writer. I thought, because you know. We girls really only became nurses and teachers, Cheryl. Mm -hmm. I really didn't have a pathway to writing. So what changed my world, though, is that thank you, Gough Whitlam, I left the country and went to university and that changed everything for me. Well, that's so funny you should say that, Erina, because yesterday I spoke to this remarkable author called Cindy Solonac and she told me the same thing, thank God, for Gough Whitlam, that's how I got an education. I think Gough Whitlam saved a whole generation of creative people. And I think he really cut through. He made the distinction of class seem so less relevant because really poor kids from kind of backgrounds like mine found their way into possibilities. And I think that changed the face of Australia because we're all grown up now and we're writing and we're creating films and we're telling, you know, uh, doing the critical thinking in universities. And that has actually carved a pathway for us to understand things like difference, you know, not just cultural difference, race difference, class difference, gender difference, all the things that are really changing the face of the country that we live in now. I'm so grateful. Yeah. So you went to university. Tell me what you studied. I went in to study literature, but I actually did politics as an extra. (laughs) I ended up (laughs) politics as my honours thesis. I worked on terrorism way back then before it was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And women in terrorism because, you know, I, I looked at why women were cut out of the discourse around the narrative around terrorism, because there were certainly a lot of terrorists around. So why was it so important to make sure that they weren't visible in that narrative, which is all my work. I'm very interested in the ways that women are cut out of the narrative, the mainstream narrative, which again is the serpent skin. That's about a young girl saying, I need to know this story. And even though you say I'm a troublemaker, I won't shut up. I'll keep going. So I ended up doing a lot of politics and taught politics at Melbourne Uni for a while. Then I, what I loved about my uni days is it opened up the ideas of ideas, the world of ideas. So I I went to Melbourne Uni, so there was Carlton, there was a movie theatre close by, there was Readings, the bookshop. Oh, I know it and I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So that really, it just blew my mind that there was this whole other world there. And it gave you a bit of an Italian flavour as well, which is... Which I did love, yeah. I do think that it caused a schism in my family because I left the tribe. Like they didn't understand this new world that I was in. And, in fact, I even speak differently from my family. If you listen to us, you know, you'll notice the difference in the cadence that I speak with. So there was a sense of kind of betrayal from them, although we've now moved through that. But it it was significantly different life that I was living and then, Did any of your siblings go to university? No. Mm. One of them had gone on a scholarship, but she couldn't 
it was su- it was such a big world and she came from a very strict Catholic boarding school so she just it wasn't for her and then uh, my younger sister did end up eventually going to teachers college so which would now be a university so hmm. although she didn't work as a teacher so first of the generation and really just fell in love with ideas so then I thought well what else I didn't know how to be a writer so I thought I'd go into journalism actually because I'd fallen in love with not just words by this stage, but also politics. So I found a very slow way to get into journalism. I started through community radio and I ended up trying for a job in the ABC, Radio Australia, which is an arm of the ABC, it's the international arm. And because I had no experience in journalism, the beautiful man there said, look, I can't take you on because you don't have an experience, but do apply again. So I applied three times. And on the third time, he said, yeah, we're going to take you in because I can take a few people in this time. And then he rang me up and he said, now, what grade would you be as a journalist? And I thought, well, I've never done a stick of actual journalism in my life. So I said, what about D? Because there's A to D. Yeah. He said, well, we only employ A and B. And I said, well, make it a B then. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take any letter. <laughs> That's right. And then, but it was very clear, the job that I had applied for was a, a job on the desk where you sub other people's copy, but that wasn't going to be for me, which is why my boss had said, you know, this job is not for you, but I was so determined to get in there. So I did. And um, it was very clear that I did need to actually do reporting on my own. So I just created an expertise on the Pacific. So when the job came up as a foreign correspondent 18 months later, I took it. So within 18 months of being a journalist, I became a foreign correspondent. And where did you go? I was in the Pacific. So I actually did all of, um, I did French nuclear testing. I did coups in Fiji, you know, all over the Pacific. Oh, from from Melbourne though, you weren't? No, no, I actually was based in Sydney because- Okay. At that time, if you wanted to get to the, any country in the Pacific fast, Sydney was your best bet because right. there were no real direct links. So you'd, even if I was living in Fiji, I would have had to come back to Sydney right. to go to Vanuatu, for instance. So Sydney was the best place for me. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And how did, did you love that? I just loved it. Like the excitement of being a foreign correspondent is yeah. pretty amazing. However, there's also a lot of adrenaline and I actually don't like living a highly adrenalised life. So you, you'd be reporting around the clock, especially if you've got a major story on. What I really loved was the excitement of the biggest story I got, which was French nuclear testing, in which the French were 
restarting testing after a long time that had a moratorium in French Polynesia near Papayete. The deal there was that the local people did not want this. The world did not want this. Remember, this is the 80s and the 90s, which was very heady time for nuclear politics. So I ended up uh, travelling over there and reporting on that story. But the, the excitement of that story is what the whole town got completely, you know, there were like 222 international journalists on that story converging on this tiny little island. There was only one Australia, Australian invited to actually go to Mururoa where the tests were, which was me. And there was one New Zealand, one Swedish guy, I don't know what he was doing there, and 17 French people. So we were all on a plane. We went over there. When we came back, there was rioting all over the city. So the whole town just exploded. And what I felt when I was, I was there when it started, I went, very few journalists, there was only the Reuters and me, and we'd gone with some local protesters to the airport. And suddenly, out of nowhere, we went right onto the tarmac. They attacked with Molotov cocktails and sticks and stones and rocks, the plane. And so there was absolute chaos. And I thought, I'm just a girl from the bush. What do I do? And then I saw the Reuters guy pick up his phone. I thought, oh, that's what I do. And then I picked up my phone. I started reporting. And then we were off. There were riot police that were very scary for a young woman dressed all in black with full riot gear, lots of tear gas. But with adrenaline, you just do things that you would never do. For instance, I had to get back to my hotel to file. So I would say... I, there was a row of riot police on one side of the street, the narrow street, and a row of protesters, and they were firing things at each other, Molotov cocktails and tear gas, and it was, it was a full-on battle. And I would just raise my hand and say, excuse me, ABC, <laughs> filing. And the French guys just would lift their, their guns and the, the rioters would stop throwing things and I would run through. I just think that's nuts now. How did I ever get away with that? But I did because you um, just... How you go frightening. Yeah. Well, I wasn't frightened at the time because you're full of adrenaline. Now it, I look back and I say, yeah, that was frightening. There was a yeah. lot of things that happened. That Is actually- that what you won the Walkley for? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, wow, yeah. extraordinary. It and also scary. to be able to tell, I often look at journalists and, you know, when they're coming in from war zones and think how can you even speak to a camera at the moment? I think fear would overwhelm me. Well, you're not fearful, actually, because you are so full of the task that you've got, which is to really represent as as fairly and Mm. deeply and as accurately as you can to the world what's going on. You know there's a lot at stake. And there was a lot of stake in that story. There was, it was a colonial story where a country from a long way away were letting off nuclear bombs, you know, in a very far-flung part of the world, but it has a huge effect on those people and they had no voice. I'm always interested in the people that have no voices. I'm always interested in social justice, what it takes to actually speak up and change things. All my writing, all my work is around those those issues. And I'm particularly interested when I write in women, because I think that there has been a colonisation of women in which they have been rendered powerless. Of course, I do think things have improved, 
but there is still work to be done and we're working on it all the time. And the way we do that is by telling stories, speaking up, making visible what has not been visible, as Brittany Higgins is doing at the moment. I was just about to mention that. Just when you think you've come a long way and then you hear what's been happening at Parliament House and you think, how could that exist in 2021? How could that culture exist? I I agree that what we're hearing about the parliamentary system, obviously there are real systematic failures, but it is supported by a culture of entitlement that is not questioned. So we must question male power. We must question, well, any power where, where it is unquestioned, we must question it. I don't think it's just only in Parliament. I think it's more rampant in Parliament. But what we're seeing from the young woman in Sydney who went to a private school and started that Facebook request for people to tell their stories, and over and over, we we had hundreds of stories of young women saying, this is what happened to me. It's not just in one single place. That's I think that the real power of this movement is we're understanding exactly where it is, and it's kind of everywhere. And that's what we need to argue. That's what we need to, we have to bring people with us. We have to understand that everyone needs to understand what's going on because through understanding comes change. Mm, I agree with that. I just want to know how you got to to writing this particular book. But before we get there, I just want to say, sometimes I feel particularly through that when the Brittany Higgins story first broke, it really affected my day-to-day life. I really felt quite down about it you know depressed is probably too too much but definitely it just made me angry and kind of cranky all of the time I was so angry that this was happening to us you know to women again but one of the things that keeps me or gives me hope is I see young people and I'm saying you know like 20 year olds early 30 year olds uh, 19 year olds they have a different approach to equality and they give me a lot of hope. They have a different approach to gender issues. They have a different approach to, you know, racism. That I don't know. A lot of the young people I see give me a lot of hope because they don't carry the same prejudice that we did. I'm very grateful to this new generation because they yeah. offer us a real sense of, you know, the, the first thing that I noticed was gender fluidity. Mm. And I thought... That is fabulous because it actually is opening up possibilities not to, you know, the idea that there are strict binaries and we all must live within them, that's what we've got to get, you know, us and them has to go. And so that's what these young people are doing for us. But we created that for them in the 80s where we are, we really fought for the kind of understanding that they now bring to the table. So well, they've picked up the baton, haven't they? I yeah. really do think that they have, you know. Although I don't think we've let down the baton either. There's no. There's batons in this, oh. in this oh. world. No, absolutely not. And I think that that needs change. But I do think that that I, I feel as a positive change is ahead. Head, provided would leave them with a with a uh, you know a world to live in yeah <laughs> I do think that you're completely right it was a time and I still feel it now I went to the the rally the main rally and the there were women march. there who yeah. said the women's march that's right enough is enough well, one woman in particular said to me this is my first I'm 63 and I've never oh. been to another protest but I feel so strongly about this oh yeah absolutely and, Another woman I met there who had worked for me years ago and had been really 
anti-feminist. Like my daughter had, at 10 years old, she was in scouts and this woman was a scout leader. And my daughter was talking about feminism and she said, no, no, feminism is bad because it's it's against men. We, we want to be in something else. But she was at that march and she said, you were the one that opened my eyes. Now I see what you were talking about. And it is so deep and we have so much work to do, but we're doing it. And I thought, wow. So you never know where change is. It, you know, that's not through anything I wrote. It's just in our beingness with each other. How we It's how we behave. It's the role models we set. It's yeah. the parenting that we do. It's all of that, isn't it's it? All yeah. of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we need to, we do need to step up our game and focus mm. more on on this kind of question because we have stood aside and worked on a number of other questions for a long time it's now our time mm. and it all comes together it's not just gender as you say it's gender it's race it's class it it's all about we've got to get rid of the otherness we've got to make sure that we're all it's inclusiveness and that's what this generation is doing for us mm. including us mm. So how did you come to write The Serpent Skin? Well, I started writing a long time ago. Yeah. So I started writing when I had my first child and I said, I'm never going to have another moment again, so I better get going. This is my dream. This is how I want to contribute to the world because I really believe stories connect people in really deep and beautiful ways. I felt like that was where I wanted to be. So I did write a couple of things. I think they're beautiful pieces. But then I had children, I kept writing, but didn't have the time to, and I had, I'm the main, well, I was the main breadwinner in the family. So and we had four of us in the family. So I really had to focus on that part, but never stop writing. So how I came to write this is that I realised that I had to write about the world of my childhood because I couldn't write anything else in the end, because I'd written other things, but now It was the time to go back. It was like it was grabbing me by the throat. You have to write about this world that is so very little told. It was the world of the 1960s where I, when I grew up, the book is actually slightly before my time. Um, However, it's still, I still recognise it. And it was really a love song to the women I grew up with, those incredibly powerful women that were very, they had a tough gig because they had to live by all the rules of patriarchy and yet they supported each other to do it. For instance, I come from a Irish Catholic background, which is a very strict kind of rule-bound world of what you can and can't do, and you certainly can't take contraception. Your contraception was the rhythm method, which clearly doesn't work because how many Catholics do <laughs> Or, and this is the saddest thing, hysterectomy. And my mother ended up with a hysterectomy because she would die if she had any more children. I just think that is the price that women had to pay. Now, women in my world never spoke against that. They believed in this, you know, let's, we can't have contraception. But what they did is they supported each other through it. So how confused is that? You know, like to support each other through the very things that oppress you and not to challenge those things and yet to make it possible for each other to live. The great love, for instance, my mother had eight pregnancies and the last pregnancy, she was pretty done and she couldn't look after her two youngest children. So she gave birth to my little sister and a woman from across the creek with two toddlers of her own already took that newborn. Now, we know how hard newborns are and took that newborn for six weeks. Another woman with six children already took me at 11 months and she took me away for six months 
these women were incredibly powerful women who just made each other's lives possible, but also policed each other. I really wanted to look at that world. I really wanted to look at the world that needed to be exploded apart. And that's the role of little JJ in the story. She's 10 years old when the story starts. Her mother disappears. Her father tells a whole lot of lies about it. And she knows that he's lying. She knows something is wrong. But in the end, she has to say, well, there's a question that one of those beautiful women, we're going to take the children away because you didn't leave children with men. Men couldn't look after their own children, but you would have left the boy. <laughs> there was one boy they would have left. So the girls were going to be taken away. She realised that she had to be a very good girl so that she wasn't taken away. So she decides not to ask any more questions. But of course, that's not where power lies. So when she becomes an adult, she falls across a clue that shows that not all was well in the house she grew up in and she's not going to let it go this time. She actually gets the power of all the things that those women that she grew up with couldn't, but they're rooting for her and they empower and their kind of love for each other does empower her to actually take, to go against all the institutions that, you know, the family, the family wanted to keep quiet. They don't want her to rock the boat. The church doesn't want her to rock the boat. The institutions that she surrounded herself, you know, her own law, she's grown up to be quite competent. Um, You know, like she will lose, there's a question that she might lose her very promising career in the law if she rocks the boat. She puts all of that at stake to rock the boat and it's the truth that does set them all free in the end. Well, congratulations, Erina. Really, it's really, it is just, it's a wonderful book. Thank you so much for chatting with us today. I've had so much fun. Cheryl, it's been wonderful to talk to you and obviously we were twins, if not in this life, but another life. (laughs) For sure. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.